like the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. 11-year-old Tana just spent the last two years wishing the judge would make her foster parents her forever parents. They're just caring, loving, they take really good care of me. And then last Monday, her friend, Miss Jackie. We're just little friends, we're just little buddies. The office manager at her school walked in with amazing news. I grabbed her shoulders and I just said, have you heard the news, baby? Have you heard, honey, you get your forever family? My heart was so happy. It was like, ah, I was like screaming. Tana was so happy the adoption was final, she could not let go of Miss Jackie. She just kept holding me tight. She just held me tighter and tighter. And so I took advantage of that and I just kissed her up one side and down the other. She's easy to cl cl cling on to. Tana's mom is grateful the security camera at school recorded the moment. It just made me feel like, oh my God. All right, I've seen that 10 times and I still cry when I see that because it's the joy and the happiness that she felt as we look at the idea of adoption. And I was thinking this weekend, um, I know that that is a story for some of you here, that some of you are here as adopted kids into families and some of you are here as the families that have adopted. So this sermon may hit close to home, it may resonate with maybe part of your story and maybe you're here and no one knows that side of your story but that the idea of adoption and the idea of of being brought into a forever family if you will means a lot about you but i you look at at her, that little girl's face and and just the joy on her face I, it's, it's really hard to describe so I, instead of me trying to describe it i want you to try to describe it who has who can put words to what you saw as she just starts clinging on to the social worker because of the because of the news that she got about her forever family. How did that hit some of you? And if you're new to the church, I like to ask questions and I will wait for responses, whether it's awkward or not, I don't really care. But understanding, how did that, how did watching just that simple video hit some of you? Hope. Hmm? Exhilarating, absolutely, sure. Others, power, over, overpowering, yeah, from uncertainty to peace, yeah, others, a miracle, okay, pure joy, absolutely, Happ happily ever after, okay, I'm looking for one word, I know, insert roll of all your eyes, I do this a lot, it's kind of like a setup. But I'm looking for one specific word, and I'm wondering if any one of you felt the same that I did when you saw the way that she just clung on to her with the news. Any others? Joy? Close. Love? Okay, we're getting farther away. Relief? Ooh, close. Tony? Oh, you're right there. If I was offering you lunch, we'd be sitting down. I haven't ordered anything. Yeah. Belong. Oh, you get to combine that. You just said okay. Okay, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> combine it. Great. Wholeness. That there was a feeling of wholeness that all is right. That this is the way it was supposed to be. Which is interesting because... In the grand scheme of the life of someone that is adopted or a family that is adopting, it is somewhat of a curveball. 
for whatever reason, kids get put up for adoption, and for, for whatever reason, families adopt children is many different reasons, but there is a completeness, there is a wholeness to this. And I know for some of you, you are in the midst of that right now. We have some of you that have gone through that not too long ago, and out of chaos, out of uncertainty, out of all of these things that something gets brought and brought whole in the idea of adoption. And it's a great way to start the A in faith, as that's where we are for Lent. Uh, we're looking at the acronym FAITH, uh, which is kind of the, in Reformed conversations, the canons adore. It was TULIP, but we're, um, I'm using some curriculum from the late 90s, early 2000s, Jim Osterhaus's faith, where last week we looked at a fallen humanity, now A, a adopted by God. And Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, meaning in Christ. So something I want all of us to see this morning is that you and I were destined to be adopted by God. By God as Father, us, a fallen people, as we talked about last week, we all sinners in need of a Savior, but before all of that, we are brought in to the family of God, regardless of the families you grew up in. Maybe you grew up in a, in a church, I know for a lot of our families, they're church families. The mom and dad grew up in the church, the kids are going to grow up in the church, Lord willing, their kids will grow up in the church, and it will be a generation of church family. But that isn't all of us. That's not all of our stories. For some of you, you are the first churchgoers in your family being brought into the family of God. But understand that scripture tells us that you and I were destined for adoption by the Father. A fallen, nothing people were destined for adoption. And if we sit on that just for a minute, it really should cause a lot of emotion in us, a lot of maybe what, what we saw in the, the little girl on the clip, but that knowing that we were destined for adoption means that the family system that we grew up in, the family system that we were born in, the family of system that goes all the way back, you know, to our great, 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 great uh, grandparents, Adam and Eve, right, if we go back to that, that there's a brokenness in our family system, and a system that we needed that wholeness, and we weren't going to get it in of ourselves. We weren't going to get it in and of of our families. We weren't going to get it if we just kind of followed that line of Adam and Eve, that something needed to be done. A process needed to take over, and that is the process of adoption. And there's a lot about adoption in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. A couple uh, just snippets of this is that God selects Abraham. Right, out of the people of the earth to make a covenant with him. That selection process, that adoption process was seen in Genesis 12. Deuteronomy 7, the Old, the Old Testament Israelites are God's chosen people. Jumping a little bit in the, New, in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 16. When Israel desired a human king, which we learned about a couple years ago in three kings, which 
they had God, they had Yahweh, they had, but they looked around and said, we don't have what all these other groups have. They have human kings. We want a human king. God intervened, sent a prophet, Samuel, to anoint his chosen. John 15, Jesus specifically selects his apostles and disciples. 2 Thessalonians, Paul exhorts to many churches that they were chosen by God. First, or 2 Peter 1, Peter reminds us of our election and our calling by God himself. Now a note on that word election. We're going to talk more about that next week. But a lot of times in reform circles, which we are a reformed church, we can use that as kind of like a status symbol. And we learned this in the whose sermon is it anyway when we talked about um, infralapsarianism uh, and all of that, and superlapsarianism, that a lot of times people look at this idea that we are God's elect as some kind of status symbol. And in my opinion, you're missing it. We were elected by God because we needed to be. It was nothing that we did. Right? When, when he called the Israelites, he said, you're a nothing people. You are stiff-necked, meaning you're this biblical word for stubborn. Right? You are a stubborn people. You were enslaved, and now I'm going to make you mine. And a lot of times we like to claim that ownership, and we do it in a very inappropriate way. We need to do that in a very humble way, that we are humbled by the fact that God chose someone like me. God chose someone like you, sinners. He didn't have to. He could have created a holy people. He could have said, no, they're already holy. I'm going to choose them. They're going to be the A-team. But he doesn't. He chooses us out of nothing but pure love for us. And then Matthew 24, Jesus refers to the elect and how they will fare in the end days. So this idea of election can be very confusing. It's been debated between... Uh, you know, uh, you're kind of more Baptist, more Reformed, Armenian thoughts. There is so much debate about what this means, and I, I'm not one to debate this. I think it's kind of a fruitless debate as far as whether we were elected or chosen or not, because it says it many times. We just went through six examples, seven examples, but there's many more, that God chose you and me. Great. Let's just let that be our starting point, allow that to be our identifier in this world, because what it shows all of us is that we have a job to do, and that we need to do it in a certain way. That if God has chosen us, if God has elected us to be his people, not because we were the A team, but we were the C team, and he said, out of you, the world will know that I am Yahweh, because he's going to work through us really in spite of us. So a question could easily come out, how do I know if I am chosen? How do I know if I am part of the elect? Maybe you're coming here this morning and go, I did some bad stuff this past week. I don't think I, I, I think I lost the election, right? I think I lost what God, if God has called me, I, I've run from him every day this week. I knew I was supposed to do that. I knew I was supposed to say that. I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. And I decided not to do what I was supposed to do and do the thing that I knew I was not supposed to do. I think that makes sense. I think you got it. And understanding that, we need to understand something else. And it comes from Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons who cry out, Abba, Father. 
the Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So there is something going on despite any one of us. That God is at work, the Spirit is at work in each and every one of you. That God is saving and adopting to bring his family for eternity. And our role is to point people to him. That our understanding in life should be being part of the family of God is the greatest thing that we're going to have in our life. Now, I can say that, I can put that on the table, and then I can ask, and I'm asking myself first, how many of us think about that? That I am in the family of faith, that I am in the family of God, that I have been adopted into this family, not because I bring anything to it, but because I need to be. Think about if that little girl was never adopted. That maybe she went to foster home to foster home. Maybe she had the interviews and kind of all the intricacy that is that adoption process. And no one ever took her. Then she became 18, 17 in some states, and just became a product of the state. And never had a family kind of uh, uh, DNA, if you will, was never given that. Her life would be drastically different. And what if the same went for us with God? That if God looked at each and every one of us, right, what, 260 people here this morning? Like, what if God weighed your life and said, mm, I don't think you measure up. Friends, I love you, but none of us would get in. If on our own merit, if on our own way of life, and our own way of doing our own thing, none of us would be in. That the Spirit is the one at work. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Friends, this is really good news, yet it can be tough for some of us this morning. And I want to touch on this a little bit because some of you, your families, have not played out in a positive way. That sometimes when you bring up this idea of adoption or family, there's a part of us that really cringe because our family life, either past or present, is not going well. Well, pastor, you say that, that, that you know, being part of the family of God is the greatest thing, but being in my family right now is not. So I have no idea how to receive it. I have no idea how to receive what positive family vibes or whatever it is means because I don't have it. And friend, to that I say, I am sorry about what you're going through today or what you may have gone through yesterday. But understanding that the family of God being brought in means so much and it has nothing to do with the family systems you were brought up in. This is God doing all the work, adopting you into a forever family that sometimes we need to shed those systems that we were brought up in or those systems that maybe we currently have and asking God to bring about uh, a reconciliation, to bring about that wholeness. 
So to help us understand this morning this forever nature of God's adoption, uh, a pastor that I follow and read a lot, John Piper, kind of does a nice breakdown, and so I use some of his points along with some of my own today to help us look at God's adoption in the right light. Because there are some of you, and I still kind of feel this way a little bit, I don't like this. You know, I kind of want to do this on my own. Any of you that have ever had kids, any of you that have ever been aunts or uncles or whatever that seen your kids grow, one of the most beautiful yet frustrating sides of having kids is when they develop independence. Because when they develop independence, it's usually not at the right times and usually not around the, about the right things. That's when they start asking and actually mean that three word that comes from the pit of hell, Why? That when we give those commands and our kids look at me and say, well, why? Or when all of a sudden it's like, hey, it's time for bed, and they throw at you, well, it's not a school night. This isn't debatable. It's time for bed. You get your butt in bed. But yet as, the deve- as that independence is starting, all of a sudden that independence can easily turn into defiance. And again, we always want our kids to be able to question and learn and go deeper, but at some times you just want them to be quiet and go to bed. And the same thing happens with us in faith. And a lot of us, myself included, we do this with God. God calls us to do this, or God calls us to do that, and we ask God, the creator of the universe, that same three-letter question. Why? And God could easily say, because I'm God, you're not, so just do it. And even some of us then are like, well, prove to me why I have to do this. Poof, gone. God could do that. He's not Zeus, right? But he could. He could easily do that. He could say, oh, you of little faith, why are you doubting me? But he doesn't. Because he has adopted us into his family and he has taken on that father role in our life. And for us to understand why we have been adopted, what that means for our life, we have to understand a couple things about adoption. The first, and this is kind of a link, though I've, I've walked with families that have gone through adoption or people that have been adopted that has never been Anything that kind of either my, my family, both um, immediate and extended, have never really done. My wife's family, not really either. Uh, we love when families do that. We love the stories that we hear. You know, and when you bring on a dog, it is not the same thing. And so, uh, so I'm sorry if you're offended by that, but it's not. But understand that there is a process to adoption. And the first is we need to count the cost of adoption. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 say this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might be received as adopted sons. So the idea of redeeming here tells us that something or someone has set us free into this family by paying a price. Now to go through an adoption process isn't free, it costs. Now, in the world today, it costs money and it costs time and kind of authority and there's courts and legal system and all of that. But when God adopted us, it came at a cost. You and I were redeemed by God because he paid that ultimate price. God said, I love this group of sinners. I want them to be a part of my family. But in order to fulfill the law, 
a debt had to be paid. A penalty needed to be made clean, and that was the death of his son. That Christ died so we could have eternal relationship with God. So let me ask. If you're here this morning, you're a mom, a dad, a grandma and grandpa, an aunt or an uncle, and in order to get your family out of a debt, you needed to give up one of your children, grandchildren, niece or nephew, uh, their life in order to make it right. Could any of us do it? My guess is no. And if you said yes right away, I think we probably need to have a conversation. Uh, and so I have office hours on Tuesday and Wednesday. But understand kind of the, what's going on here. God knew this was going to happen. God knew that the need for a penalty, a need for a death, was going to have to take place so we could be the adopted sons and daughters of God. He was counting the cost. And Jesus' life paid our debts, the penalty for our sin. So there's a legality of adoption. And so we're going to continue on in verse 6. So we have Galatians 4, 4, and 5. I just read, but verse 6 says... And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, there's a legality, there's a righteousness that comes to being a part of the family of God. That when Christ died on the cross, his righteousness were given to us, imputed is the theological term, placed over us, because there was no good in us to be in the family of God. None of us were good enough to be righteous enough to be in the family of God. Righteousness was required for this process because of the legal realities of the law. That God created those and those needed to be justified and dealt with. The law demanded that we would be punished because of sin and we would be excluded from the presence of our Father, of the Creator, because of that sin. That in our sin, we cannot be in right relationship with God. Think about that in your day-to-day. -day. That if you are living your life and even linking a pinky with active sin, that we cannot be in the presence of God. And a lot of times we struggle with that because we're saved. So if we're saved, and some of us, once saved, always saved, and all this stuff that we can just kind of play in the playground of sin and think that God's going to just forgive us because, you know what, that's what a dad does. That's called cheap grace. That's not understanding what happened. You see, work needs to be done by the Spirit to work in our hearts to be convicted. That if there, you are living today a life of sin and there is zero conviction going on in your heart, then I would ask that you do intake on your relationship with God. A lot of you know, because I talk about it most Sundays, that Carrie and I, we have three boys, right? And if they were constantly okay with just sinning against mom and dad, I don't think anybody would look at that relationship and go, parent of the year. No. That there is an understanding when something's broken, it needs to be fixed. When laws are broken, or I mean, maybe not laws, we don't call that in the Holland owner house. Uh, but understand, when rules are broken, there needs to be a conversation. At times, there needs to be a punishment. That there needs to be a reconciliation. This is the legality of sin. And this is something that God did for all of us. 
Think about the process without the cross. If the Spirit wasn't there to regenerate a fallen person's heart, then the bounty of sin would just be all over their life. And maybe you know those people. Maybe you know those people that claim to be Christians but then live out a life that is very contradictory to the Bible. And sometimes they preface it with this idea of love. That, you know what, as a believer, I'm called to love. Even if you're sinning, I'm going to love you. But there's an opportunity for all of us to say, but hey, you got to follow dad better. We all know people like that because we all are like that. Because I'm sure there are people that could say the same thing about us. That, hey, I, I hear you. I hear that you're a believer, but I don't see this. You seem to be okay with this. How how does that work? It's saying that you love God, yet in your actions you don't. Right? It's like saying, man, I love my wife. When's the last time you talked to her? I don't know. It's been a minute. Really? When's the last time you spent time with her? I don't know. I try not to. This This is an example. This is not actual. You can ask my wife. I'm obsessed. But understand that people in faith do the same thing. Now, this isn't to browbeat any of you, but for some people, it's, well, I love the Lord, I just don't go to church. Why? We're called to be in the fellowship of believers. We are called to come and fellowship, and I know some of you are rolling your eyes because it's a pastor saying this, and my livelihood comes out of this church. But I think I'd say that if I was a car salesman, which I think I would be good at. But understand Part of when we say that we love God, but we don't act like it, there's a contradictory there. That doesn't work. And understanding that we don't have an understanding of the adoption process if we don't learn from that. If we don't grow from that. Because the adoption of God is the beginning of the transformation in our life. I guarantee you that little girl was never the same when her forever family was established. That she is now a part of something. She went from being lost to found. She is from being a kind of an individual in no man's land to a family. That is powerful. And that is the transformational process of adoption. Romans 8.14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. As we live as sons and daughters of God, God doesn't leave us without the help to bear the attacks of our own selves. Maybe you've had this, I don't think we've yet to have this in our family, but it's probably coming like a freight train, because I know I did it. I remember I, I, was, I did not want to practice my French horn, and uh, my mom told me that I had to, and I said, in my mind, I'm going to run away. I'm going to run away because I do not want to practice my French horn. I say this out loud, I'm going, this is a terrible example. So what did I do? I left a note, I broke my French horn, and... I got a couple granola bars, and I went to a, I went, don't be sure, I didn't like, like crack it in half, right? I just undid the valves. It's a terrible thing. And I went a block away and said I was going to live in this tunnel slide at a park. I was home in 45 minutes because I had eaten all the granola bars, I had drank the Capri Suns, and I thought I was going to die. You're like, wow, Pastor Jim's soft, and you're right. But understand that 
you probably maybe have had that in your family or your situation where your kids or someone in your family, well, I don't want to be in your family anymore. Friends, we say that to God all the time. When we choose to actively sin, that's what we're saying to our parent. The one that brought us in, the one that did the work, that's what we're actually saying. So one of the, final, or one of the last things I want to bring up today is do you love the fact that you have a forever family? Do you love the fact that God, the father of you and me, has brought us into his family and what he asks for us is to point people to him? Or are you just like, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, then, friends, I think what we're, I think we struggle with that then. I don't think we fully get it then, what it means to be in God's forever family. Because there's something that we have to remember at the end, and it's the inheritance of adoption. Galatians 4 says, and because you are sons, God has sent this, his, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if, and if a son, then an heir through God. Then Romans 8 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I'm not sure how many of you have made up wills in your family. But when we started having kids, we've had, we had a brother-in-law who does insurance, and we did the whole life insurance thing, and uh, we knew we were going to need a will because a will helps figure things out when mom and dad are gone. And as a pastor, I've sat down in contentious meetings when all of a sudden a family member is gone, and it's all about what am I going to get I, I, I have stories. I'm not going to, there are too many to, to name and, and to recount right now, but they've been really ugly. That you have people that are just waiting for mom and dad or Uncle Remus to die so you can get all of the stuff. Because there's a conversation around adoption that has to do with inheritance. And for some of you, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a hug. You're going to get a high five, or maybe you got her eyes. I don't care. But understand, not physically, but that you look like them, just so we understand. Hopefully when someone dies, you're not given eyeballs. That's weird. But understand that we are inheriting something being a part of God's family. That being a part of the family of God, there is an inheritance. And you want to know what the inheritance is? And allow this to blow your mind as my mind is blown. Our inheritance from God is forever for eternity eternity with god is our inheritance and for maybe 11% of us we're like yeah i think i would like money no you don't because that will pass away the inheritance we get from being adopted by god is a forever eternal life with god in heaven if that doesn't blow your mind, if that doesn't excite you, I'm sorry, but you might be dead inside. Or you might not fully understand because what you're doing is living for the however many years you have on this earth. Friend, that is a speck of sand on the beaches of the dunes. 
that the inheritance we get is everlasting life with God. And I don't know about you, but that's good news. But here's the thing, and we'll get more to this next week. As we go through this life, we will suffer. There will be groaning. Romans 8, and I close with this, says this. For now, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul reminds us that there is pain in the adoption path, in the process. John Piper writes this, that for some of us who have kids or maybe have adopted kids or family, that we're going to go through situations in your family and in the family of God where we won't be able to see that life continue because we will lose kids in the process. John Piper writes, whether adopted or not, watching your kids hurt, paralyzed, or even die, there are groans. In this life, we were told all these things will happen, but that does not stop the adoption of the individual. No, we know the best is yet to come. There is much groaning in the path of adoption on the way to full salvation, Piper says, but the outcome is glorious. It is well worth it. This is especially relevant for parents who experience real groaning, a child with a disease, a handicap, or some other consistent issue. It does not make them lo loved any less, but the groaning is real. So what is he telling us as we go into the next section of this Lent process? The reality that some of us will outlive our kids, see our children, whether in our family or the family of Munster Church, struck down by war, accident, or disease, the groaning is done in hope because we are adopted by God and destined for a resurrection and an eternal future of health and wholeness and never-ending joy. So is the adoption process hard? You bet it is. But friend, the work has been done. That if you have claimed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have been adopted into God's family and that means something very very intentional. More on that next week. Let's pray.